I'm continuing a series on the book of Romans. It is the most expansive and in-depth book of theology in the entire Bible. And Paul wrote it to people he had not yet encountered, giving them kind of an A to Z of the kingdom of God, the work of Christ, and our standing, our identity in Christ. Just such a great book. We'll be talking about chapter 4 today. It's part 3, but we'll be covering chapter 4 before I open the word let me share something humorous with you um, because um, I want to. A couple of funny things. I was looking up in the sky and wondering which cloud has all my data. And they say it's going to a cloud. I don't know which one. I've decided I'll never get down to my original weight. After all, six pounds is just not realistic. I wish I was a kid again, so every time, uh, everyone would be proud of me for taking long naps. Power naps, Holy Ghost naps. So many people are too judgmental. I can tell just by looking at them. <laughs> Ladies, you can tell a lot about a man by how dogs react to him. For example... If the police canine is biting him, he may not be ideal. Just saying. Lastly, an eight-year-old girl went to the office with their father and take your kid to work day. As they were walking around the office, the young girl started crying and getting very cranky. Her father asked her what was wrong with her. As the whole staff gathered around her, she sobbed loudly, Daddy, where are all the clowns you said you worked with? I know that's not a CFTN experience, but Romans chapter 4, verse 1. What shall we say that Abraham our father is found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. So he lived a very good life, moral, powerful, but not good enough to obtain the high standard of sinless righteousness before God. No one had. No one could. No one did till Christ. But what does the scripture say? Verse 3. Here it is. Abraham believed God and it was accounted, imputed to him for righteousness. So Abraham's great spiritual virtue is having faith. So he's identified by God himself and Holy Scripture all through the New Testament and even the Old Testament talks about Abraham believing God and God put into his account, because of his faith, righteousness. Now to him that works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt people. Righteousness is not a reward we achieve by works. Righteousness is a gift we receive by grace. Okay, so we, we, we want to live out our righteousness in a sanctified, holy life. The righteousness, the gift comes before the expression of a sanctified behavior. Verse 5, but to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. There it is, faith. Just as David described this blessedness, so he quotes the Psalms like he often does. The New Testament 
often the Old Testament is brought up as a confirming voice to a New Testament revelation and doctrine. So Abraham is lifted to this point. There's a couple points. Skip down to verse uh, 11. He received the sign of circumcision, a seal of righteousness of the faith which he had, still being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, even though they are not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. So Abraham is the father of the Jewish faith, the Jewish race, and he's a father of believers. So he's the father of many nations. And the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, verse 12, but to those who walk in the steps of faith, which our father Abraham well, still uncircumcised. For the promise that he would be heir of the world was not given to Abraham nor his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So first point, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So let's talk about that for a minute. The Bible says that we as believers, Ephesians 2, for by grace you have been saved. Grace is a free and merited gift, in merited favor. By grace you have been saved through faith. And that faith is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. So even the faith that I have to believe in God, God gave me. God gave me faith to believe in his grace, to believe in the atoning work of Christ to forgive my sin. As Pastor George quoted from Isaiah 52, Christ was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, our sins. The punishment, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. So Christ did that. He took my place and then by his grace gave me his righteousness. So let's talk about the, the, the steps of Abraham. So Abraham's journey is filled with moments and high peaks of faith. God appears to him and says to him in Ur of Chaldees, leave this city, this region, and follow me to a land that I'll show you. So Abraham, by faith, left the comfort zone of his family, the familiarity of his city, 70 years old, everything he knew, he left it all by faith. Often God will ask you to do something without telling you the entirety of how it's going to work out. He'll say, do this, give this, take this step. So faith is when we act, not even knowing yet everything that will come afterwards. God didn't show him till later. And by faith in chapter 13 of Genesis, the Bible says God showed Abraham on the mountaintop all the land, north, south, east, and west, and said to him, all the land that you see, I will give to you and your descendants forever. And Abraham believed God. When God showed him Canaan, Israel, Abraham believed God. He once again believed God. Abraham saw by nighttime stars and by daytime sand, God said to him, your seed will be like the stars of heaven and like the sand of the shore. And Abraham believed God, even though he was fatherless, that he would be the father of nations. He believed God. Abraham believed God when he was 99 years old. Stop giving up on yourself because you feel old. 99 years old, and God appeared to him and said, your new name is not Abram, which means exalted father. It's Abraham. God put part of his name, Yahweh, in the middle of Abraham's name. Every time he said his name, he said God's name. Then God adopted his name and said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God took our name and we took his Man, what a covenant. A covenant. That's what happens in covenant. And his new name was father of a great multitude. 
He comes down from a prayer time and shouts, shouting to his staff, his servants. And he says, I'm the father. My new name is Abraham. Don't call me anything but that. And he started declaring who he was. You know you're walking in faith. When you believe what God says about you in the Bible, that you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that you're more than a conqueror, that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, that you're the head and not the tail, that you're the beloved child of God, that you've been justified, sanctified, glorified, that you've been predestined and called and chosen. When you believe it and declare it, there's so much faith in it. And Abraham told everyone who he was. Before he became it, before he became it, the same with his wife, Sarah. Then that same year, they became pregnant by faith. He and his wife conceived a child at 99, you know, 190. They have Isaac, laughter. And Isaac grows, and God says to my need, Isaac, I want you to give me your only son, your only begotten son. And I want you to sacrifice him to me on this mountain. And so he takes Isaac and some wood and a, a instrument of sacrifice. And as they're at the foot of the mountain, Isaac's old enough to understand. And he says, Dad, how come we don't have a lamb with us? Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham prophesied, son, God will provide himself a lamb. God will provide. At the mountain of the greatest test of his life, he boldly declared, God will provide. I don't know what you're going through. I know this, God will provide. If it's a healing, a breakthrough, a financial deliverance, a family miracle, I just know God will provide. Yahweh, Jireh, the Lord who sees in the mountain our need and makes provision by the, by the great wealth of his grace. And so they climb up the mountain. They build the altar. Isaac lays on it, and Abraham's about to plunge the knife into the chest of his beloved son, and the angel stops him. And, and, and said, look over here in the thicket, a ram was caught. As Abraham went up one side of the mountain, the ram was going up the other side of the mountain. God's got your miracle. Just keep walking. Maybe you just got to walk all the way to March. But as you're walking through every day, that miracle is coming closer to you. And you're going to meet at the pinnacle of faith. And God's going to give you a testimony of once again providing for you. And Abraham in that moment knew that God was for him. And, the, and here's the point. God did not need Abraham's son, but the whole world needed God's son. And by covenantal commitment, the moment Abraham was willing to give God his son, God was compelled to give us his son. The whole thing was about Jesus. God needed one man to come into the human race by faith. And Abraham believed God. And, and the book of Hebrews says, Abraham believed that even if he plunged the dagger into the chest of his son, he believed God would raise his son from the dead. That's faith, my friends. When you know no matter, I don't know how it's going to work out. If God's got to raise this thing from the dead, he'll do it. If God's got to resurrect my life, he'll do it. I don't know how he's going to do it. I just know he's going to do it because he's my providing God. Abraham, we walk in the steps of Abraham. The second point is this. We are, and you are, and all of us as believers are the children of Abraham. He's the father of all that believe, the Jewish race, the Jewish religion. The Christian believed the kingdom of God. So it all traces back to him. 
In fact, other religions oft also claim some ancestry there. But we know without a shadow of doubt, here's what, here's what God says. For, for, even for you that have never had an ounce of Jewish training, no, no history about the, the Hebrew traditions and the, and the old covenant, all the covenants of God given to the Jewish people, Abraham is your father. Abraham your daddy. You don't have to go on TV and find out your daddy is. You're, Abraham your daddy. He's the father of us all who believe, okay? All, every believer. Point number So something happens in this dialogue. It gets so exciting. Verse 16. Let me give you a verse. There, because the law brings about wrath, for there, where there is no law, there's no transgression. So the law had a purpose. It's perfect. It perfectly reveals God's moral righteousness, but it's imperfect in that no one could sustain it or fulfill it. Verse 16, therefore it is of faith, salvation, redemption, and the righteousness especially, that it might be according to grace. So the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, the messianic community, but those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Okay, there it is. Join together. Verse 17, here's where it gets really fun. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which are not as though they were. Calls those things that do not exist as though they do exist. So my third point is this, and I want you to get it. That God has empowered believers to be creators. What are you saying, Pastor? Isn't God the creator? Yes. And the more I grow in faith and grow in righteousness and grow in the stewardship of the guidance of the Holy Spirit, the more God will create things out of me. And I'll do it by my words. Proverbs 18, 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life. He that loves it with the fruit of it. He that loves the fruitfulness of seeing powerful things happen. It's impossible to be a strong believer as long as you maintain a weak vocabulary. God's got to clean up your profession, your confession, your dialogue, your verbiage. Now, it's, it, this is so important because if you want to move into this arena of seeing actual miracles and actual signs and wonders and seeing God show off and be God and do all the things he can and wants to do, then you're going to have to let the Holy Ghost anoint your tongue and anoint your words until your words are God's words. Okay? It's impossible for believers to live in victory when their confession is filled with defeat and negativity. You with me? A lot of people pray, ask God to do things, and five minutes later cancel everything he just prayed for. Well, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't know. You know, you just, he's just so flaky. Well, I don't know. It's just so. It, don't let your words be the hurdle you have to get over to get your miracle. Let your words be in concert with God. Agreement. Abraham came down from the mountain saying, my name is Abraham. He went up, Abram, father, came down, father of nations, without having a child. And when he moved into that high realm of identifying through a prophetic moment 
the will of God in his life and start declaring it, man, miracles. His body comes alive. Her body comes alive. They have a miracle baby. And everything shifted when their words shifted. Can I have an amen from the Southern Baptist congregation? Jesus, in Genesis 1, begins, God created heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, darkness over the face of it. What happened? God said something. God said, let there be light. God said, he created with his word. The kingdom of God is a word-governed kingdom. Jesus was approached by a soldier, a centurion, a soldier with a hundred soldiers under him. And the centurion said, I have a servant at home who's very sick. Would you please pray for him? And this centurion was well thought of in the Jewish community, which means he was moral. He didn't use his, he didn't use his authority to intimidate people or terrorize people. So he's liked. And so Christ says, okay, I'll go to your home. Let's go. And the Syrian said, hold on there. You don't have to come to my home. Just speak the word only. For I also am a man under authority. Having soldiers under me, I say to one, go, and he goes. One, come, and he come. One, do this, and he does that. And the Bible says Jesus marveled at his faith. I have not found faith like this, no, not in Israel. And the, the soldier understood the dynamics of the kingdom. He understood how kingdoms work, just like his his leaders tell him to do something. He understands Christ was under the authority of God. And, by, and because he was, he could say things. You have as much authority as you're willing to submit to. And so Jesus said, okay, it's done. And he went home and they, they checked the time. And his servant was healed the exact moment, that exact time. I've seen that happen actually hundreds of times in in prayer time, in meetings in, with people all over the world. John chapter 15, verse 7, in this chapter, Jesus uses the word abide ten times. That's the theme. Abiding in God. We abide in the vine. We abide in him. And in, in this verse, he gives a kind of a culmination, a high point of kind of the benefits, the consequence, and the great reward of the person abiding in God. He said, if. Everybody say if. Condition expressed by that word, if. If you choose to abide in me, and if you choose to let my words abide in you, Jesus said, here's how, here's how in the kingdom we create. Wherever the Holy Ghost and the Word of God meet, they create something new. Okay. Wherever people are praying and worshiping and then meditating and studying God's Word, when God's Word and God's Spirit meet, they create God's will in the earth. I'm talking to creators today. See, our job is not to inform God how bad things are. He's omniscient. He already knows, baby. He knows way more than we do. Our job is to collaborate with him to change things. And one of the ways we change things is to powerfully release his will. You will say, okay, if you abide in me, my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall come to pass. It shall come to be. So people, people, religious people always get nervous. Well, we can't pray our desires. Of course we can. 
We just got to walk with God close enough that our desires change from selfish to godly. If you don't have any desires, you're dead. You're no good to the kingdom. Well, I don't want anything. I don't want. Well, how about a billion souls to get saved? How, uh, get something going in there. And Jesus said, a desire will awaken and you'll unleash the power of a word over it. And when you unleash that, the word, it shall be done, in the Greek is one word, geomony. And it shall come to pass. He said this, it shall be done for you. Geomony means to create something out of nothing. I love the preachers because it just scares the hell out of people. Oh, gosh, I haven't heard that before. I, I, I know you haven't, but you're going to get it. God wants you to create a different world in your family, in your... God can't bless it until you stop cursing it. And a curse is not a cuss. A curse is anything that's in disharmony with God's pleasure and will and blessing over something. So I'm cursing it when I'm in disagreement with what God wants it to be. Stop cursing your family. Stop cursing that loved one. Oh, he's never going to get saved. Stop it. You've got to say, he's going to get saved, turned on, delivered, become a mighty man of God. <laughs> Jacob has a baby in his old age, his last and twelfth son. His wife goes into a hard labor. They're on journey. She actually passes away in the labor and in the tent. Jacob hears this groaning. He can tell something's wrong. He also hears the cry of a newborn child. The nurse opens the tent. She's covered with tears. She says to Jacob, I've got really good news and really bad news. The really bad news is the love of your life, Rachel, has passed away. The good news is she's given you your 12th son. And then the nurse said, oh, by the way, your wife, see the women named all 11 previous sons. Your wife named him Benoni, which means son of my great sorrow. Basically, the boy who killed me. And he's holding Benoni. He's crying. You could imagine, this was a great love affair. He's deeply traumatized. He's trying to, but, but then he starts shaking. He said, no, man. I know my wife, if my wife wasn't in so much pain, she wouldn't have cursed this baby. She would have given him a proper name, but she was in so much pain, she couldn't stop her pain from flowing over into her son. But I'm not going to let this boy live every day with a cursed name, with the wrong identity. He's not Benoni, son of my great sorrow. He's Benjamin, son of my right hand, my closest son. So God wants to change the way we talk about people, ourselves, our world, our family, our finance, about Phoenix. You with me? Welcome to Revival Resurrection City. Come on. I know there's a lot happening in politics and I'm with you. There's a lot of goofiness and it seems like a lot of unfair things are going on but but don't get caught up in the negative so that you can describe everything the devil's doing live above it in the kingdom and start prophesying revival and restoration and breakthrough and blessing ah we can do both, we can do both. okay next point 
You still with me? Okay. Thank you, the Presbyterian congregation. The Bible says in the next verse, verse 17, verse 18, who Abraham, contrary to hope, in hope, believed. So there is a dichotomous contradiction, a comparison between two hopes. So that he might become the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants speak. So natural hope comes by the confirmation of circumstances that build confidence that something's going to happen. These things happen, okay, I can see this lining up. Kingdom hope comes from God's word and needs no natural confirmation. Come on, the prophet said, it's about the rain, wasn't a cloud in the sky. You with me? God said, you're going to have nations, you're going to give birth to nations. Hadn't even birthed a child at 99. And now a couple billion Christians and millions of Jews all go back to him. It came to pass. Amen? It came to pass, just like God said it would. Next verse. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead. He was about 100 years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb. But did not waver the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, strong in faith, giving glory to God. So my fourth point is very simple. Strong faith praises God for the answer even before it comes. See, you can really tell if someone believes by how they praise. If they act like it's already here in their praise, that means they're in a high point of faith. So for us, it's a huge thing because praise is the voice of elevated faith that says, I believe God will do everything he said. It's done. It's done. Praise him. Amen. So we praise him. Remember 2 Chronicles 20, they sent out, they're facing an army. They sent out the worship team first. No weapons, just harps and songs. They sent out Judah first because they said victory is ours. The spirit of victory is a joyous voice of praise that celebrates the triumph of God's promises coming to pass before any sign of them coming to pass is in your world. It's true. It's true. What are you dancing for? Something good's about to happen. Has it happened? No, not yet, but it's going to happen. Some people got to church that they had to overcome 18 devils. Three drunken drivers from last night. Rebuking and when you got here, you started worshiping God and praising God. God, I know you're going to do it. And all the junk the devil's been throwing at you, all the weapons started falling down. All the, all the enemy's arsenal started being penetrated and destroyed. <laughs> praise him. Keep your praise. Keep your praise. Next sentence. I know we're covering some really good stuff. Could read the rest of us and keep thinking about it, praying about it. 21, being verse 21, and being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able to perform. So, 
we can tell by our level of persuasion how much and what place of faith we're at. So Abraham is fully persuaded. God's got this. Have you ever driven someone crazy and there's a big problem going on? You're like, don't worry, man, God's got this. You were already persuaded. There was no room for doubt. You'd already conquered your fears. And you'd overcome. Now, I've done many things fully persuaded, but I've done most of them, my things like uh, semi-persuaded. But see, Pastor, how do, how do you take these big steps of faith? Well, here's what I pray for God's will to be done. And when I see it, and when I'm 51% convinced it's God's will, I do it. Then what happens? Then I fight the 49% for the rest of the month. Shut up. We're gonna, God's going to do it. Last, last verses. Here we go. By faith, Noah being warned of things that not yet seen. Hebrews eleven seven. Move with godly fear, prepared to ark for the saving of his household, which he condemned the world and became the uh, became the heir of God through righteousness. Okay, so by faith. So the proof that you believe is in the measure of your preparation. The proof of the level of your faith is revealed in the level of your preparation for something. Last point. We're going to skip the first verse of chapter 5. Therefore, being justified by faith, this all together. Chapters and verses are added way later. The book was written as an epistle altogether. Therefore, being justified by faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So there it is. There's, he's just been explaining that, just taking him through. That, that doesn't matter if you're Jewish or Gentile. doesn't matter if you're religious or non-religious. No one gets to God except through justification. No one gets to justification except by faith. No one's made righteous except through the gift of God giving to them through Christ by faith. So God will save anyone who believes. God will save anyone who confesses Christ as Lord. God will justify just as if they never sinned, restore their righteousness, impart to them, excuse me, restore their innocence and impart to them righteousness, right standing, perfect right standing with God. God will do that for anybody and everybody. And then the Bible says beautifully in kind of as a great reward, as a circumstantial manifestation, as a great uh, a culmination of being justified, he said, we have peace with God. We have peace with God. Every cell in your body will be filled with anxiety, will be filled with the disharmony of either mental or physical illness when you're not right with God. Your whole body says something's wrong. Your mind, your body, your soul. But when you're right with God... A peace comes into your spirit, comes into your soul, your mind, and every cell of your body. And now I can be at peace because Christ has given me peace through his saving work of grace. And I have peace with God. It's impossible to have peace in this world without having peace with God. It's impossible to have peace of mind without having peace with God. It's impossible to not be wrecked 
by stress and anxiety and fear and discouragement if you're not living in peace with God. But if you know Christ as your Savior and if you've been justified and, and sanctified and given the gift of perfect righteousness, then you can have peace no matter what kind of craziness is going on out there. Stop waiting for the world to calm down before you get your peace back. You have peace because of Jesus. That's all you need. That's all you'll ever need. Peace is in the evidence of your problems leaving. Peace is the evidence of his presence coming. I have peace because I'm a prince. He's called the prince of peace. And he said, my peace I give unto you. Peace I leave with you, not like the world's peace. The world's peace is circumstantial. It's shallow. It's temporary. He said, my peace is from me, and nothing can take it from you. You can have peace that you sleep in storms. You can have, I, got, I had the anointing. I flew, I was 18 hours of, of flying this week in airplanes or jets. And I had the anointing to sleep on airplanes. Drives my wife crazy. I'll, I'll take it. I, I, I don't have to nap. And I'll, I'll wake up and she's leaning over staring at me. Just waiting for me to wake up. I wanted to talk. I said, I know. I'm awake now. Let's talk. But I don't care how much turbulence happens. You can't let every little bump steal your peace. Come on. Oh, do you feel that? No, no. I'm too busy walking in peace. The boat is filling with water. The disciples are afraid they're going to die. And Jesus is asleep. Your peace from Christ is so powerful. You can sleep when everyone else is freaking out. Everyone else is in panic mode. Everyone else is stressed out. Not you. I got peace with God. Being justified by faith. What do we have? We have peace with God. This is the greatest gift. The lifting of the burden of sins off of the consciousness of the human soul is the greatest gift that you can receive on this planet. And in place of that shame and and guilt and burden, God just puts his presence and peace right there. Peace. Peace like a river, the prophet said. Cascading through your soul, flowing out of your life. Jesus said, you have so much peace. When you walk into a house, speak peace to it. When you leave, your peace will stay. You have so much peace, you can rebuke storms. You have so much peace, you can calm people down just by walking close to them. People will be drawn to your peacefulness, your restfulness. They'll wonder how come you're not totally stressed out like everyone else. You don't understand. I have peace with God. And everything, everything that's stressing you out, I have a peace that's so superior to all that kind of stormy turbulence. I refuse to let anything re remove that peace. And then the Bible says if you're stressed out, pray. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard like a soldier, your heart and soul. Amen. Don't let anybody steal your peace. Come on. I, everyone's got someone who's like a professional peace thief. They're like, who's coming over? Oh, oh God. Oh, God. Help me, help me, God. And, and the Lord, instead of, instead of saying, I'm never going to let them come over, God says, I'm going to teach you how to peace no matter what they do. How goofy, how personal, how hurtful, 
how unthoughtful, don't matter. Don't matter. You can't offend a person living in peace. The Bible says perfect peace. You will keep him in perfect peace. In the Hebrew, it's just the word peace twice. Shalom, shalom. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. This is going to be a year of great miracles, comebacks, deliverance, and breakthroughs. But listen, on your way there, you're going to have peace. You're going to have peace before they get saved. You're going to have peace before every medical bill is paid or every medical report is good. You're going to have peace before the money is rushing in. You're going to have peace before something. You don't need those things to have peace. You have him. We have peace with God. And everything else falls secondary, falls into the, the category God's got it covered. It's going to be okay. Thank you for listening to me today. Would you please stand to your feet? Prayer team, join me down front. Would you do this with me? If you wouldn't mind just holding out your hands in front of you, you know, cupped forward or upwards, <clears throat> just like I was about to give you two amazing Arizona breakfast burritos. <laughs> okay, so, so I want you just to just to imagine with me the stuff that's trying to burden you. The worry points, the stress points, the burdens of heart or mind. It doesn't matter if it's family and finance or health or what, what, whatever it is. Would you just imagine those things being in your hands and you're like, Pastor, I need 10 other hands to do that. Now just imagine all those things there. The Apostle Peter said in his first epistle, Cast all your stresses, your burdens, your anxieties on the Lord, for he cares for you. And so we stay in peace by giving back to God the enemies of our peace through prayer. So, Lord, we give you our concerns, our needs, our worries, our stresses, our burdens, our heartaches. I just point, so we, so we cast it all to you. On the count of three, I just want you to raise your hands like you're just lifting it to heaven. One, two, three. Lord, we just give it all to you. Just keep your hands raised. So we receive, we welcome the reintroduction of your perfect peace. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything in the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We receive your beautiful healing peace. We receive the rest our soul needs. We receive, God, the freedom from being stressed out and being afraid or being constantly burdened. We receive your peace. And Lord, thank you for helping us live there. Live in the realm of your peace. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy. The person who has continual peace is the person that can unlock joyful spirit. So we want peace so all kinds of things can live in us. Thank you, God. As we close today's service, don't forget next, it's going to be a great, I'll be, I can't wait, just by the timing of God, we'll be in chapter 5, one of my favorite chapters in the whole book of Romans. Whew, it's going to be fun. We're also going to have a big birthday party with cheeseburgers and cake. And, uh, 
I don't even feel guilty of saying that. Just take the bread off and have a protein meal. The most important thing in life, we talked about it a few moments ago, is what you believe about Jesus. And if, if you've never received the gift of salvation, the gift, salvation's not something we achieve, it's something we receive. It's a gift that God gave us through Christ. If you've never received Jesus, today's your day. We humbly but joyfully and passionately invite you to know him. Everything changes when Jesus comes. If you've been away from God, man, make this your comeback Sunday, okay? God's not mad at you. He's, he's waiting to restart your season. He's waiting for a new beginning in your story. If you need a healing in your body or your mind, we'd be so honored to pray for you. I, I feel like, I just want to say this. I'm just going to declare that the storms of January are ending by the 1st of February, okay? And if you've been, you say, Pastor, I've been in a really entrenched and intense, you know, thing in maybe December, January. Let someone up here pray and prophesy over you. It'll be awesome. Just for 90 seconds longer, church, would you please worship God with me while those seeking prayer come forward? Oh, all my life you have been faithful. Come on, sing it, church. All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am made I will sing of the goodness of God Beautiful, all my life All my life, all my life you have been faithful All my life so, so good With every breath that I am made Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God Stay here as long as you want. Mary and I love you. We're deeply honored and humbled to serve here. Have a wonderful rest of your day. If you're leaving, tell someone around you. Jesus loves you like crazy. You're an amazing church. Have an amazing week. God bless you.